Why is God so angry? Isn't the Bible full of contradictions? How could God allow so much evil? Science just proves the Bible. How can the Bible say the earth was created in six days? How can the Bible say the earth was created in six days? A bunch of years ago, a coworker of mine had invited me to one of their family gatherings. And they said, it's October 13th, we meet every year. It's extended family and we gather and have a lot of fun and we can bring friends, you should come. So I went and sure enough, it's fantastic. There's a lot of people, there's live music and food and drinks and laughter and storytelling. And looking around, there's people that, family members who haven't even seen each other since the previous year. Um, but as, as we're chatting, I, I ended up asking, how did this all start? Like, you said you do it every single year. It's a commitment that you, your family gathers. Why? Um, and the friend that I was with actually didn't know. And the circle that we were standing in, no one knew either. Um, my friend had just said, we've done it my whole life. And we've, my family did it years before I was born, but I don't know where it started. Um, so the grandmother was walking by. And so we pulled her into the conversation and asked, and she kind of looked appalled and said, you don't know? And turned around and walked away. Um, and she went and she grabbed the microphone and quieted this crowd and shared the story for why they gather. Um, it turns out that years ago, her, her parents in their home country had been separated. There was some political unrest. They ended up getting um, taken in two different directions and then they hadn't seen each other for months and months. Uh, on October 13th, against all odds, they were reunited. And so they said at that point, every year we will come together and celebrate our family being together. Um, so this party continued then for generations. Uh, once this had been announced, once this story had been shared, the tone in the room completely changed. It was no longer just general get together and, and whatnot. There was there was a deeper level, it was richer. And I, I felt a little surprised, how can you be gathering and have no idea why? Um, but on some reflection, I thought, you know, people gather for Christmas and Easter celebrations and they get together as families or work parties and not once is Christ mentioned. Um, so it, it turns out it's, it's not so far off that you can forget the reasons of why we gather. Uh, but what about remembering enhances our celebration. As, as we look at the Old Testament, God had appointed um, festivals to the Israelites. And I kind of like looking through the Old Testament. It's a little bit of a where's Waldo of finding how things are pointing to Jesus and what Jesus is fulfilling, um, who fulfills the, the promises and the prophecies and even ultimately our story of redemption. Um, but when we forget about the, the meaning of the festivals, when we forget about the meaning of the gatherings, um, we actually lose some of the impact and the importance of what happened at the cross. Um, so in Leviticus 23, it starts out saying, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed feasts, the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you will proclaim as sacred assemblies. Um, he starts off, there's the Sabbath. So once a week, they're not working and they're to have a sacred assembly. Um, we go into the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and this is commemorating 
Israelites' um, liberation from Egypt uh, with the Passover lamb. We see that fulfilled in Christ as his blood is shed, and we also can experience Passover and deliverance. Uh, moves into the first fruits, which is one of their harvest festivals, and it was celebrated the day after the Sabbath. Um, when we look in the New Testament, Jesus is raised from the dead the day after Sabbath, and in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 23, Christ is referred to as the first fruits. Uh, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the Lord moves on to discussing the festival of weeks. Um, they count off seven full weeks and the Sabbath, so it ends up being 50 days. Um, and at this point, they celebrated the end of the barley season and the beginning of the wheat, um, showing joy and thanksgiving for this bountiful harvest that they have. Later in the New Testament, we celebrate Pentecost, and we see this shift in the church as the Holy Spirit is poured out on both Jews and Gentiles. Um, we then have the Feast of Trumpets, which I think is just a fun one. Who doesn't love some trumpets blasting? Um, the trumpets were used a lot in the, in the Bible for uh, battles, for gatherings, to signify the beginning of a new month. Um, and so in, in this one, it's um, at a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts. Um, some commentators suggest that these trumpet blasts um, at the end of the agricultural harvest for the Israelites are direct parallel to the final harvest of souls. Um, in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, we read, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, and the voice of the archangel with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. There's two more festivals that the Lord appoints at this time. Um, one is the, the Day of Atonement. This one was regarded one of the most holy festivals that they had. It was, it was once a year, and they would take two healthy goats. The first goat um, would take on the guilt of sin and would be slaughtered as a sacrifice. And the second goat was taken. The priest would lay his hands on the goat and confess the sins of the people. And then the, the goat would be sent off into the wilderness. And it was symbolizing the sins of the people being removed far away. Um, so we see propitiation with the sacrifice and expiation with the goat being sent free. Um, and then we see later that Jesus fulfills both of these roles. He not only um, took on our sins and died on the cross, but he also removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. First uh, John 2 verse 2 says, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. And then finally we have the, the Festival of Booths. This is a seven-day celebration, and the people would live in temporary housing, much like what they would have lived in while they were living in the wilderness. And um, during it, they celebrate God's faithfulness and his provision during that time. They also recognize that while they were in the wilderness, God was with them in the tabernacle, and so they celebrate his presence. Um, then we see this through the cross. 
we see that because of the cross, we have a promise that we are able to abide in him both in this life and eternity. Uh, something that I find really fun with these passages, when we, when we look at that first verse um, where the Lord says that they are proclaimed as sacred assemblies, the Hebrew word used there is mikra. And while it is meaning um, like holy convocation or um, assembly, another use of this word is a dress rehearsal. And when I think of it with that way, I think, you know, for 1500 years, the Israelites celebrated with these dress rehearsals throughout the year, um, rehearsals of redemption, pointing to the Messiah, pointing to Jesus. They would be retelling the stories of where they had been and pointing to where they are going. Um, as the church today, I think if we really believe what we say we believe, uh, we need to up our celebrations. We need to be viewing this as a, as a dress rehearsal for how we are going to celebrate when we get to see Christ face to face. When we're actively remembering all that he's done, we realize the implications that come along with that. And, and through that, it means we need, to be, we need to be gathering and gathering well. God is a God of celebration. He, he wants us to gather and to sing and to eat and enjoy each other's company. Um, and I think when we lose sight of why we're gathering, um, when we lose sight of, of where we've come from as the church, as his people, these gatherings start to become nothing more than tradition, maybe even obligation. Um, but when I look at these words, it's saying, you know, it's a sacred gathering. There's a special gift. There's a special offering. God loves good festivities. And we should be excited about that. We should be excited to be walking in that truth. We should be excited remembering all that he's done, the way that he's saved us. In a culture that likes to hold off on commitment in case something better comes along, I think we need to be really clear about our why. Being clear about who we celebrate and what he's done for us. Friends, there's, there's no greater celebration than the one that we have in Christ. We, we have not just an honor, but a duty to be sharing this with others. And I think when we start really celebrating what we believe, when we start remembering why we do it, the passion will reignite in the same way that the passion at my friend's family gathering was reignited. Um, let's, let's celebrate well. And let's make sure that we're inviting others into it, not just for good festivals here on earth, good dress rehearsals, but to an eternal celebration where we are able to cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are a God of celebration. Thank you that you have done so much for us. Help us to remember what you have done. Help us to remember who you are and to acknowledge what you've saved us from. Lord, may our gatherings be rich. May they be a place of joy. May they be welcoming to others. Help us to remember well and to love you well. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>